you open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, once again, we'll be reading verses 30 through 32. <clears throat> Let's bow for prayer. Father, we do thank you once again for the privilege we have to gather together as believers and to together open your word and to read and to study those things that you have preserved for us, and we are grateful. We ask that you would again, as we always do, that you would help us, Father, to again not only be able to understand more clearly what you are saying, but that, Father, we would remember what you are saying, that we would have a very strong desire to want our lives be changed by your word. We know, Lord, that as that happens, that we will experience greater joy in life, have a, a greater sense of satisfaction. Life will be better. We'll find, Lord, that we may even have more opportunities, Lord, to encourage others and to share Christ with others. And so, Father, we ask that you would continue the work of transformation in our hearts and lives, that we may be more like Christ in every way. But, Father, we also ask that again, as we did, did this morning, we, we ask, Lord, not only that our behavior would change or the, the outward man, we pray that you would, that you would change our hearts that we would be different on the inside, that our attitudes towards you and towards life and towards others would be that which is truly different because of your presence in our lives, that we would genuinely be kind people, that, Father, we would genuinely desire to, to become those things that Paul speaks of here in this passage, that, Father, we would seek to forgive others, and that, Lord, that would be the the disposition of our heart to forgive. So, Father, we thank you once again for being so, so good to us and for forgiving us of our shortcomings. And so we thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Again, as we are continuing with this passage, and here the, the, the end of the passage where Paul is again talking about practically what we are to be, what we are not to be as believers he says in verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Remember several weeks ago when we talked about verse 30 where he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Keep in mind that even though it may be natural, I know that it was for me for uh, most of my life, my thought was that grieving the Holy Spirit of God was, in a sense, difficult for the believer to do. That if we persisted in sin, that we might come to a point where we grieve the Holy Spirit. And for many, and maybe myself included, I thought, ah, I'll never do that. I mean, I won't go that far. But then as you read, and, we, and as I studied the passage, you realize that that is not what that's talking about. Grieving the Holy Spirit is something that we can do pretty easily. And in the context of what's written, uh, it, it almost seems as if the, uh, simply by the way we speak, by what we talk about, the way we talk, we can grieve the Spirit of God. This is not reserved uh, as a special, I guess, classification of sin for those who persist in sin. 
This is something that we are in danger of doing. Now, it doesn't mean that if you grieve the Spirit of God that there's now some new punishment that's coming your way. But, again, we should take this seriously because we should not desire or to allow ourselves to grieve the Spirit of God. We don't want to, in the same way you don't want to grieve those you love, the same idea is there. And then he reminds us that we've been sealed by the Spirit of God for the day of redemption. And then there's a command that we are to put away these things, which is bitterness, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, uh, evil speaking. We talked about those things, the attitude of our heart, uh, the expressions of anger, again, loud uh, speaking, you know, making noise and, and being obnoxious and argumentative and all those things. We, we need to stop those things. He tells us, he commands us to do that. And then remember when we, we look at the phrase or the last three words, with all malice, that he is telling us that bitterness, wrath, clamor, anger, evil speaking, that that comes deep from within us. That is, that's where these things are coming from. It's rooted in who we are as individuals. You could almost say it is the essence of who we are, and that needs to be corrected. That needs to be changed and challenged. Then as opposed to that, he, we then begin to look at verse 32, where he says, and be kind to one another. And the idea there is that it's not just doing kind things. We are to become kind-hearted people. We do kind things, absolutely. But we are commanded here to be kind-hearted people. And we are to be, be the idea is to be becoming that. Uh, to be the individual that other believers are at ease with. That you're not contentious. That uh, you, um, you're not argumentative, again. Uh, that you are uh, an individual that they not only feel at ease with, but they feel at ease with with you to the degree, as we looked at it, that they can't even confess their sin to you, what they're struggling with, and they are still safe, that you're not going to judge them, you're not going to condemn them, you're not going to go and tell others, but you're going to seek to help them, to pray for them, to pray with them, all those types of things. Then he also tells us, as we began to look at last week, that we are to be tender-hearted. Remember that the, that the term that's used there, tender-hearted, uh, it's a strange definition, which is having strong, healthy bowels. Um, and uh, hopefully you'll remember that. Um, but the idea means that we are to become compassionate in the sense that we are easily and quickly moved to love, pity, or sorrow. Now, again, remember that we're not speaking of that you're an individual who's moved easily to pity to where you just uh, somehow you think that um, the way to respond to someone is, Someone's going through a hard time, and you just give them money and no questions asked. It's, it doesn't mean that. You can do that at times if you want to, but it's not the idea that you have pity on someone and that we never then question anything or that we don't try to get to the root of the matter. We do that. We're, in fact, we're moved with compassion that we're willing to take the time it might take to deal with the messy things to find out what's really going on. But we're doing so because we're moved with compassion for that person. We are less concerned with what we have to do later in the day to spend time with the individual and take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. Then, uh, last week, we, we looked at the phrase, forgiving one another even as God in Christ has forgiven you or forgave you. One of the things that I mentioned was that forgiveness may entail just, a one, just one act on our part, but at the same time, forgiveness is a process uh, because the painful thoughts... And the painful feelings of maybe what that person has done to you reoccur. Um, It is not that you're trying to remember them on purpose. It's difficult to forget. And I don't think we have the ability to choose to forget. 
Normally when we forget something, it's because of the weakness of the flesh. You know, or we forget because we're getting old. You know, that kind of thing. But I don't know anyone who says, well, I know you've done this to me, and I choose to forget it. You may not mention it again, but, but you're going to remember. And, you know, we've all had those experiences where some song comes on the radio, and you have some memory of something that you hadn't thought of in forever. It just kind of pops back up. Well, when it comes to forgiveness, especially if someone has really hurt you deeply, remember that um, you will experience, you can experience over and over again the pain. I do believe that the intensity will lessen. Uh, but when we forgive someone, we are promising not to bring it up and use it against them. But we're not promising to forget. And we're going to cover that again in just a moment. Um, but we may find ourselves needing to repeat, in a sense, in our heart, forgiving that individual, in a sense, 70 times 7. You, you know, it, it, because we keep remembering what they have done. Remember, I, g- I gave you a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, which said, if we really know Christ as our Savior... That means our hearts are broken, and our hearts cannot be hard, and we cannot refuse forgiveness. And I think he sums up there, the last couple words there, what we need to remember as believers, and that is this. When we don't forgive as believers, it will, I believe it's always because we refuse. It's never because we can't. We may feel like we can't, because the betrayal may be very great. And so we're not, so this is not an attempt to minimize betrayal or what someone has done to us. It's never, that's never the idea there. But the scriptures tell us clearly that God has poured his love into our hearts. He has told us here in this passage, we are commanded to forgive others as God has forgiven us. We have no choice in the matter. We also have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit which gives to us the ability, the capacity, the strength to forgive. So when we do not forgive, and I'm not saying then that there are times that it may not be difficult. It may be very hard. It may, I don't know what kind of time frame to put on there. I don't know if, if, if we could say it may take days, it may take, take weeks. Whatever the case may be, it is not a situation that we easily not forgive and not think about it. It should be troubling to us. That, we're, that we are not forgiving that person. That, that's where the struggle should be. That I, I'm commanded by God to forgive, and I'm struggling because I, I know I should forgive, and this is so difficult. But again, true forgiveness uh, never minimizes what the person has done. In fact, as we've said before, it, it is confronting what has happened. The only way this can be dealt with is by forgiveness. Just like when it comes to our sin against God, God never minimizes our sin in forgiving us. He had to send his son to die so that he could forgive us. So there's never a minimizing. It's calling it what it is. So I mentioned last week that I wanted to go through some things, which will have to be rapidly because there's, I think, ten of them. Uh, But I want to go, first of all, through some myths of forgiveness so we can kind of continue to flesh this out uh, to make sure we have a good understanding. And it's what I've already mentioned, and that is this. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not what it is. It, it It is... this idea that, uh, well, we need to forgive and forget. That's not a biblical idea. We do need to forgive. Uh, but forgiveness is not forgetting. Uh, I do believe that God does not forget in the sense that he no longer remembers what has happened. And let me read to you Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four. It reads this way. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying to the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and 
will remember their sins no more. When he says that he will remember their sins no more, that doesn't mean that when God looks at you, he draws a blank. What that means is, is that God is choosing not to, to use your sin against you. It, it's emphasizing um, his graciousness. It's, it's a metaphor. It's a word picture that's designed to emphasize God's gracious determination to not hold us liable for our sins. That's what he's saying there. He's not saying that I am going to forget your sins or I'm going to forget as if, uh, that you ever did anything wrong. That's not what he's doing. Um, you know, we're not dealing with someone who's senile. We're dealing with somebody who is choosing to do this. We, and so we are to forgive as he forgives. So then, uh, I think I've told you before, I won't go into the details, but there's a story. When I was in middle school, I was a seventh grader. There was an eighth grade kid. Um, for whatever reason, he, I, I think he wanted to fight me because he knew he could beat the mess out of me. And uh, I thought it would be fun for him and entertaining for others. Thank goodness no one else was interested in watching. So after he knocked me to the ground, nobody paid attention, so, so he left. Thank goodness. Um, However, uh, and he was big. He's, he was an eighth grader. He was like 5'8 or 5'9 and about 210 pounds. Um, we, he, when he graduated from high school, he was the same height and same weight. I kept growing. I remember what he did. His name was Russell. I remember his name. When I came back from college, I saw him at a basketball game. I was bigger than him then. Well, what am I going to do? Shove me, go in the bathroom and shove me against the wall and say, remember what you did to me when I was in seventh grade? No, I'm not going to do that. And the thing is that, that I've noticed through the years is I remember, I'm not trying to remember, I just remember it. But I, don't, I, got no, I have no ill feeling, nothing. Just completely forgiven. I, I haven't forgotten it, but, but I don't hold him liable for any of that. I, and so we are commanded to forgive everyone just like that. That instance for me, that was easy. You know, it just... Clearly, it, it's the ones who are close to us. That's where it gets hard. When the husband betrays the wife, the wife betrays the husband. And I, that isn't just unfaithfulness. That's usually a big one, obviously. But it's not only that. There are times when, when we can feel like that person's betrayed us because they have lied to us about something for whatever the reason. Um, we can feel they've maybe betrayed a trust. Uh, it can be someone that we're close to or maybe a, a childhood friend, whatever it happens to be. And, and that's when it becomes very, very difficult. So um, we need to remember what the scripture says, that, uh, again, God does not forget. And so that's, that's not what forgiveness is not forgiving, forgetting. Also, uh, as I've already mentioned, I believe that it is intellectually and mentally impossible to forget. It doesn't mean that we don't forget things because we do. Um, but when you try to forget something, I just you're going to remember it. Uh, and then thirdly with that, um, it is or it can be experientially devastating if you think that forgiving means that you have to forget. Because once you have successfully, if, if once you have forgotten the offense, that means you've forgiven, then what do you do each time you remember? When, when something takes place and it kind of prods your memory and then you remember, does that then mean that you, now you don't forgive them again? And, and so we can begin, there are people who feel guilty because they, they haven't gotten rid of the thought. They can't forget the memory or they still have the hurt or the pain. And it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. Um, and so there are those who suffer from guilt and shame and or depression because they have miserably failed to forget what that person has done to them. And that's not what forgiveness is. Um, and again, uh, when we forgive... Part of that is a willingness to, we are saying that we're willing to absorb the pain that person has caused. I mean, where are you going to put it? There's nowhere else for it to go. 
So when you forgive someone for betraying you, you are, in a sense, embracing the hurt and the betrayal. And you're not holding on to it because you're holding a grudge, but you're not taking it out on them or anybody else. In the same way that Christ took our punishment, he absorbed uh, our pain, our sin against him, it's the same kind of idea. Uh, and we are, we are agreeing to do that. And we often do that. Sometimes we do that, we, we can do that with our children without even thinking about it. And they may say something very rude or nasty to us, something very hurtful, and we very quickly get over that. And our excuse is, not that it's bad, it's, well, they're children. They didn't really know the weight of what they said. And that may be true, but that idea of being able to absorb the pain and not allow it to affect you, Christians can do that, and we're commanded to do that, uh, to absorb the pain and then to treat that person not only no differently, but maybe even better than we did before. So that's the first thing. Uh, it's a, it, one of the myths about forgiveness is that uh, it's, it is forgetting, and it's not forgetting. Number two, forgiveness does not entail, and I've kind of already covered this a little bit, so we'll go over it quickly, but it does not entail the absence of feeling pain. Okay, this is not, again, where we are pretending that what the individual or individuals or what have you have done to us is not a thing or not a big thing. That's not what forgiveness is. Um, the only way at times for us to stop hurting is to stop feeling, and the only way to stop feeling is to die emotionally, and God's not asked us to do that. He's not asked us to do that at all. In fact, sometimes, maybe, maybe uh, we could even say often, but sometimes for the believer, there's more pain because we understand what that person did. Let me give you an example. Let's say that we're all non-believers. I'm going to use Robert as my example here. I know that stuns you, but he's sitting on the front row, so he's asked for it. No. All right, so let's say that uh, Robert is raised in an extremely dysfunctional home. And as a result of that, he has all these quirks and bad habits. We then get into an argument, and he just calls me all kinds of names, says he can't believe that he and I ever became friends, and the whole deal. In the unbelieving world, I might be able to get over it by saying, well, you know, look, this is how he was raised. He's going through a hard time, and I can go through, and I can kind of excuse it away. But now let's go back to the situation we are now. We're Christians. Let's say we have, again, this argument, and Robert says those same kinds of things. If my doctrine and understanding of Scripture is correct, what I know is this. Robert may have been raised in an extremely dysfunctional home, but that didn't make him say what he said. Did it influence him? Yes. But I know based on scripture that he only told me what was in his heart. That he may have not meant every word, but he did mean to hurt me for whatever reason. In other words, I know as a believer there is no excuse for what he's done. Which then means that his betrayal of our friendship or whatever you want to call it is actually worse than it would be if we were just unbelievers. Because I know there is no one else to blame. Period. It's all on him. So that then makes the betrayal that I feel, actually, it cuts much deeper. Much deeper. Because I know, especially if he's been a believer for a long time. If he's a brand new believer, you say, well, we do that all the time. Well, they're a new believer and, and, you know, they've not grown yet. But when someone's been a believer for 20, 30, 40 years, who, who do you blame? Oh, you, I blame them. That's what the scripture says. So sometimes there is uh, more pain because we are believers. 
So this myth that, it, that, there's, an, that uh, there's some kind of absence of feeling of pain is one of the primary reasons that people uh, give when they refuse to forgive. They know they cannot stop feeling the sting of sin. And they think that if they still feel pain, they're being a hypocrite. And you're not. The sting, it does fade for many, maybe in a lot of cases. But even with that, sometimes there's a continual residue of pain. Uh, It doesn't mean if you still feel pain that you haven't forgiven them. Your mom or dad or your spouse may have said something to you, whether they are unaware of it or aware of it, it doesn't matter, but they may have said something to you, let's say, 15 years ago. It was very, very hurtful. And you say you've forgiven them. Maybe you say you haven't forgiven them. And even though it's been 15 years ago and most of the intense pain is gone, maybe in those moments when you're already feeling down or tired or what have you, or maybe in conjunction with some sad movie you've seen or some whatever, and then all of a sudden you remember and you, you kind of feel not the intensity of when it happened, but you, you feel pain. And so some people think that, well, because I still have this pain, I've not forgiven them. Or I will forgive them when I no longer feel pain. That's, that's an anti-biblical stance. We're commanded to forgive and not commanded to forgive when the pain goes away. So again, it, it is an embracing of that pain. And so we need to look at it really a little differently when it comes to that. Um, when it comes to that situation. Number three, forgiveness does not mean that you cease longing for justice. Vengeance is not a bad thing. In fact, vengeance belongs in the realm uh, in that we would say that it is sacred. It is reserved for God. Um, If vengeance or seeking justice were somehow evil, then God would be guilty of sin. It's just something that God is better at it than we are, and he reserves it for himself. So forgiveness does not mean that you ignore what a wrong has done or deny that sin was committed. It is not that. So if someone steals from me, let's say, uh, well, we'll just use Jill. We've already used Robert. So let's say that Jill steals money from me, 100 bucks, whatever it is. Me forgiving her doesn't mean that I still don't want justice to be done. It would not be wrong for me to demand that she pay that money back. That's not a sin. Now, I can also choose to say, you know what? Just forget the money. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to just excuse the debt. I can do that. But if I don't do that, that doesn't mean that I haven't. She can't say, well, you haven't forgiven me for the debt. Do I just have to pay you back? I thought you forgave me. Yeah, well, that there's... Those can be two different things, which we'll see in a little bit, and we need to understand that. But again, wanting there to be justice. So if you're, you know, somebody does something to your home or to whoever, and you want to see them go to jail, uh, that's not a bad thing necessarily. Now, it can be because you want, I want them to suffer, and I hope, you know, that when they hit my car, they, uh, they need to get 35 years. Okay, well, okay, that's not going to happen. They're not going to get 35 years because they hit your car. Uh, but, but the thing is, is that... To want true justice or real justice to be done is not a bad thing uh, at all. And it's probably good for that person anyway. Uh, But we need to let God be the one who is the avenger, period. Uh, So sometimes people refuse to forgive because they believe to do so, again, would minimize the offense and that somehow it's unfair. And that's that's how the world views forgiveness. You know, when we talk about, we'll use the 
not an extreme situation because it's a very real situation, but I've, I've heard people talk about this. They say, well, one of the things I can't say about Christians is that if a man is a pedophile um, and, and we catch him at what he's doing, oh, we have to forgive. So, so it's just like it's not a big deal. Where did that come from? I would also demand that, that person go to prison for what they've done. That's a Christian stance, period. So this idea that somehow we're minimizing the offense is not something that's a part of the biblical idea of forgiveness. And so sometimes, maybe oftentimes the world doesn't understand that. They, they either trivialize forgiveness or they make forgiveness, in a sense, too big of a deal, like, like it's an obstacle that can't be um, exercised. And so there's a lot of confusion. We, we have the ability to forgive because our sins have been forgiven in Christ. We understand, we have experienced that forgiveness in Christ. The fourth thing is that forgiveness does not mean that you make it easy for the offender to hurt you again. He or she, uh, in other words, that person may hurt us again. That's their choice. Uh, there's nothing wrong with us setting up boundaries in our relationship with them. True forgiveness is not incompatible with holding a person accountable for their actions and calling them to repent. Forgiveness does not mean that you become a perpetual doormat for someone else's sins. So let's go ahead and deal with some real difficult situations. A woman is married to an abusive husband. How do you counsel them? She says, I can't take it anymore. I want to leave him. That's a hard one. It's really difficult. They're both members of the church. There's been all kinds of advice given to people like that. Some have been told, doesn't matter what he does to you. You can't leave. I don't find that in the Bible. Others say, nope, 1 Corinthians 7. Sometimes the difficulty we have in giving advice is we focus on only one verse. We have to go to the whole counsel of God, period. So, I would tell a woman, uh, your husband's beating you? Yeah, you need to leave. I'm not telling her to divorce him. I am telling her to leave. She needs to, it's not right for her to stay there and just get beat on by this man. Now, that's not the end of the advice. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to go on. I'm not opposed to filing a police report. I just, we'll call the police now. We need, to, we need to go through these because that's the right thing for us to do. Is the goal to reconcile the marriage? If possible, absolutely. Absolutely it is. But it may not be possible. He may refuse to stop doing what he's doing. Careful reading of 1 Corinthians 7. I don't think that when you go through that, it eliminates a woman leaving. In fact, it talks about a woman uh, divorcing her husband, and then the command is for her not to marry. It almost, it, 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 it's one of those verses that when you look at it, you look at the context, it could very easily be used. Not that we want to misuse it or twist it to fit our needs, but the idea is, is that she may be in a situation where she's not protected, and so she divorces, but she's just simply told, you, just, you don't go and remarry. And that's, and that's, it ends with that. It's just kind of open-ended, so to speak. So the idea is, is that when it comes to that, I don't think that I, uh, it's right to counsel the woman to, to stay uh, in that. I think that she can leave. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. Now to the married, I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. That's the two options. But he doesn't say she must stay. He just says she's not to depart, but even if she does, because God knows that there's a bunch of stuff that goes on, and so there's this uh, 
qualification that is in there. So long before they reach a point of desperation or harm, the women of the church, this is where the, a, church, a close church body is important, long before a woman who's in that kind of situation reaches a point of desperation, the women in the church should know that there are uh, spiritual men and women in the church that they can turn to for help, and they need to give good advice. That would be important. So if we're close to each other as individuals, if women are close to other women, they will know before it gets to that point that that lady needs help, and we need to intervene in that marriage. And that's usually where we need to go as Christians, is we need to, we need to step into that. It's, it's messy, it's hard, it's difficult, but we need to step into that and try to help them resolve that and not just ignore them. Because in the past, that has often been the case, where they've just been ignored, and the church does nothing. And they sometimes say, well, we'll pray, and that's a good thing, but that's all they do. And they continue to allow that to continue, and it's wrong. It's wrong for that. So the option then is not just, well, you just need to leave and then just kind of then turn your back on them. We need to take the next step, and we need to be involved in their lives. And that's why, again, our relationships with each other is very important we, so that we kind of have an idea of what's going on. Not that every single person in the church knows what's going on in one family, but there needs to be some people in the church that know what's going on. As we, you know, we all have, there, there are those in the church we're closer to than we are with others, that whole thing. And these things become very complicated. Uh, but we want to make sure that we're using the whole counsel of God and not just harping on just one verse and say, well, I don't care what else it says. I know it says this. Well, God doesn't contradict himself, but he also gives us good, solid advice about all these situations. And sometimes it requires a great deal of thought uh, and, uh, along the way. And uh, so we need to make sure that we do that. So we must handle the word of God carefully. We don't want to take any verse or teaching in isolation to the whole counsel of God. But again, forgiveness does not mean that you make it easy for the offender to hurt you again. So if Jill does steal money from me, I won't leave money lying around when she's around. Doesn't mean I, doesn't mean I haven't forgiven her. Doesn't mean that at all. Why would I, if she's trying to overcome, if she does that all the time, why would I make it easier for her to you know, be tempted? I'm going to help her out. You know, that kind of thing. Um, Fifthly, forgiveness is rarely a one-time uh, uh, climatic event. As I already mentioned, it can be a lifelong process, um, and it requires reaffirmation. So there's some true things about forgiveness that are important. Ephesians 4.32, again, as I said, as God in Christ has also forgiven you, that is the standard. Um, we are to forgive because God has forgiven us, and we are to forgive in the same way that God has forgiven us. So how did God forgive us? Number one, God forgave us by absorbing in himself the destructive and painful consequences of our sin against him. So then when it comes again, let's go back to the marriage and those very hurtful, difficult situations. And one of the individuals has been unfaithful. Uh, some people have said that um, there's only really two uh, uh, um, circumstances, two things where God recognizes divorce. And that's true. One is where the non-believer abandons the non-believer or the believer. And the other one is when one has committed adultery. However, when it comes to one who's committing adultery, divorce is still not the first step. God still desires forgiveness first. Now, if the individual who's committing adultery refuses to stop, that's, that's just kind of it. But if that person is seeking forgiveness, um, that person needs to forgive. Now, technically, that person can still divorce them because they've ended the marriage. They have destroyed that, that bond by committing adultery. But what God desires is that we forgive. And sometimes we say, well, I don't think I can do that. God has given us the ability, because the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, to absorb 
the pain and the consequences of that person's sin against us. That's hard. It's very, very difficult. So we should never, if, if, if you have a friend of yours who's seeking advice and the situation they're in is that the other partner has um, committed adultery and perhaps they have, it, perhaps they've stopped. It's, it's a one-time thing. That we'll just kind of give ourselves the parameters to make it easy to understand this. But if that has happened, um, don't flippantly say, well, you just need to forgive and move on. The words aren't necessarily wrong, but the way we communicate that is very important. That's going to be a very hard thing, and that person's going to ha- go, go through some struggles. I, st- I think it's the right path for them to take, but we need to let them know that we're going to be praying for them, praying with them, and that we will be, we will be there for them through this time of great difficulty um, because that is what God would prefer. And it does, uh, when a marriage is restored, when that, 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 when that kind of thing has happened, that kind of forgiveness can just give great glory to the Lord. There will be those who will, who will kind of, I can't believe she forgave him. I would never forgive him. Well, that's not your husband, so uh, you know, that's why you couldn't. But, uh, and, and they want to mock that. And, and perhaps, and, and maybe most of the time, looking at a situation like that where we might be thinking, I would never do that, um, might be revealing how far our heart is from the heart of God. That's what it's revealing. We need to be very careful with that. Um, and we need to uh, recognize this. So as I've already mentioned before, when we're dealing with the myths, when it comes to forgiveness, and this is probably the most difficult aspect of it as we think about it, is it is a willingness to absorb the destructive and the painful consequences of, of someone's sin against us. That's how God has forgiven us. Forgiveness is therefore the decision to live with the painful consequences of another person's sin. You may not be able to get rid of everything that reminds you of what's happened. Some men, because this has been the norm, but uh, in some cases I've, I've, I've been counseling couples and a man has uh, committed adultery uh, in his home. And the wife will say, she's willing to forgive. She says, I just I don't think I can live every time I walk in the house. I, I, I'm reminded of that. And I've told men, you need to sell your house and get in the house. Yes, what you need to do. And many have done that, and it's a big help. But what if you're in a situation where that just can't happen? It can't happen. So that doesn't mean you say, well, if you can't sell the house, I'm not forgiving him. That's not, that's not what this This is not about leverage to get what you want. So the idea is, is that it's a, it is a decision to live with the painful consequences of another person's sins, which means that you're not going to hold it against them. You're not going to use it as leverage. You're not going to use it to mope around uh, to manipulate that person later. It means, again, that you're going to treat that person well, if not better than you did before, because you're going to treat them according to what the Scripture says, period. That requires you and I to continue to grow as Christians. Uh, at times, those situations will reveal where we are as believers. <coughs> and sometimes what it reveals is that we're, we may not be as mature as we think we are, uh, and, we, and we'll try to justify it. They'll say, yeah, but you don't understand because you've never been betrayed that way. People will do that sometimes with all kinds of sins. They will say, you don't understand because you've never experienced that. And you can agree with them. I can thank God I've not experienced that. It doesn't change what I've said because that's what Scripture says. That's the key. This idea that that you don't have a right to speak because you've not been through what they've been through, that's of the world. That is not an, an accurate statement. 
You may be able to, you may might be able to better empathize with a person because you've also experienced that. But that doesn't mean that you have no right to speak because you've not experienced that or you've not been on drugs or whatever it happens to be. People use it in all types of situations. But we can still speak the truth of the word of God. Um, that's, and, it's, and it's been true in Christianity for years. I mean, for how many centuries have pastors uh, done counseling where they've dealt with individuals who uh, either have experienced adultery by committing it or by being the victim of it, or they have dealt with individuals who are addicted to drugs or they're alcoholics or on and on, and they don't say, well, he's a good pastor because he's done all those things and he understands. Normally, uh, the pastor's not experienced any of those things, but he knows what the Word of God says. And he's able to give good counsel because of what the Word of God says. Uh, so we need to continue the biblical thought when it comes to that. So uh, when it comes to uh, this decision to live with the painful consequences of someone else's sins, if you think about it, you're going to have to do that anyway. Because you can't forget. So you might as well do it without bitterness. You might as well do it without rancor and, and, all, and hatred and all the rest of the things. Uh, so it's a, it's a decision to live with it in a particular way. Number two, God forgave us in Christ by canceling the debt we owed him. So we're no longer held liable for our sins or in any way made to pay for them. So to forgive someone then means that you promise, as I've already mentioned several times, not to bring it up to the offender or to others or to yourself as a way of using it against them. And people do this sometimes a lot without thinking. Talking to an individual, and they're having difficulties, to say, with their parents, and this is an adult, and they're saying, well, you don't understand what they did to me when I was a kid. Whoa, time out. Um, have you forgiven them? Because if you've forgiven them, even, now, I understand at times in a counseling situation, someone may, may bring it up, maybe to give me, let's say I'm doing the counseling, to give me some background to help them deal with the situation, but there are times when the individual is going to bring up what's happened because they want, they desire to speak bad about that person to make themselves look good. And maybe even to justify their sin. Well, I want you to know what they did to me because if you, this is what they're thinking. If you know what they did to me, then you will know that I'm, they won't say it, but it's like I'm justified in doing and thinking what I'm doing and thinking. And if they know me very well, they know that won't work. But that's, you know, that's the idea that's there. So when it comes to us and forgiving others... Again, we're not, you know, it's not like, now sometimes when we joke around, you know, I'll joke around with Cindy and, and she'll say something or I'll say something and I'll say, <laughs> I forgive you babes, but I'm going to remember that and we're going to use that later, you know, that kind of thing. All right, that's, you, you know, when we're joking around, that's fine. But in all seriousness, though, when we forgive, you don't do that, period. And sometimes for the individual, um, whatever, they, whatever they're forgiving the other person for, it, they may not bring it up for decades, Decades, 30 years later, they're at a crossroads in their relationship. And that individual says, you know, ever since you did blankety blank, I've been waiting for this day. 30 years? But that's what they said. They're waiting for this day. I knew you wouldn't be able to whatever. It just shows there's something seriously wrong in our relationship with God first. God has not changed our hearts. And in some cases, that may be indicative that you don't know the Lord. Because true Christians are, the norm is that we change. And we become different people. We become like Christ. Uh, and so this is a very serious thing. The third thing, forgiving others as God has forgiven us means that, again, we resolve 
to revoke revenge. It means you refuse. You refuse to let the anger and pain energize an agenda to exact payment. You refuse to let anger and pain uh, to allow you to become emotional or to become to, to retaliate or to become to, to retaliate whether it's physically or financially. You cancel the debt by refusing to use the past suffering to justify present sin. Some people say, well, like I've uh, again, we don't want to stereotype people as if they're the only group that does these things because both genders do this. But sometimes a, a lady will say, well, yeah, I know I ran up $30,000 in a credit card, but, you know, I'm just sick and tired of all this abuse. Well, the abuse is probably wrong, but that was wrong, too. That's not a way to do it. And what happens is, is we, again, we, we don't forgive others because we, we believe that we have the right to retaliate. And we don't. We don't, period. And as Christians, we need to recognize that. Uh, and again, it can be very difficult because there are times, especially when, when a wound is fresh, where we may be hurt deeply, there is a desire to make that person feel what we feel. Because if we can't, in our mind, we're thinking, if I can't make them feel what I feel, then they don't really understand. And they need to feel this. Well, you may never be able to make them feel what you feel. I mean, we're, we're, all, we're all different. Uh, the point is, is that we are obligated to forgive them, first of all, because I belong to Christ, because I am a Christian. And because of that, I'm obligated. Number two, also, we throw this around at times, but it's important. You are not forgiving them because they deserve it. They don't deserve your forgiveness, but they do need it. We did not deserve God's forgiveness. We needed it desperately. So when we forgive others, we are revoking our, in a sense, what the world may say is our right to revenge. I've told you before about the man that I met one time in prison. Uh, he was working, he wasn't a Christian, but he was working in the chapel. And uh, I was there early. I was substituting for another chaplain. It was a, I was at a jail, and this was a prison. And I was talking to him, trying to make small talk. And he had a wedding ring on, which they, some of the inmates were allowed to wear. And I asked, oh, I said, I didn't know you were married. He said he wasn't. I said, oh, I saw the ring. And then I thought he might tell me about his grandmother, because at times a, a guy would wear maybe their grandmother's wedding ring. All kind of stuff goes on like that. And so anyway, I said, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't know that. He said, no, no. He said, I, he said, I'll tell you why I wear this. And that's when he stood there and he took it off. He said, I wear this to remind me every day what my wife did to me. And he was dead serious. And he said, I will never take this off until I can place it on her dead body. And what he meant by that was that he was going to be the one who was going to do the killing. Because he wasn't going to be in forever. See, that's an individual who's not forgiven, clearly. Uh, <laughs> when he told me that, when he, when he said that, and he put the ring back on, I went, oh. <laughs> I just, I didn't know what to say. I was like, God, you know. It was, it was just a really awkward situation, uh, to say the least. So then, I, so then when I talked to the, other, the main chaplain of that prison, um, I said, Mike, I said, I met one of your, uh, one of your helpers, one of the guys in your work crew today. And I can't remember the guy's name. And I said, I met so-and-so. I said, he's not a Christian, is he? <laughs> no, he goes, oh, no, no, no. He's not a believer at all. I said, yeah, that became pretty clear. And then he said, oh, did he tell you why he wore the ring? I said, well, I kind of asked. <laughs> anyway, all right, number four. Forgiving others as God has forgiven us means a determination to do them good rather than evil. So this is not that you just tolerate them. What did God do to us when he forgave us? God continues to exercise goodness to us. He blesses our lives. He answers our prayers. Remember, he's, he has sent his spirit to live in us, to seal us for the day of redemption. He, he's not, he doesn't live there inactively. He's active in our life. 
So the idea then is that um, uh, when someone sins against you and you forgive them, then you determine to do good. Now, that doesn't mean that you get corny about it and you just kind of make things up. But the point is, is you do want to do good. And that might even mean that you'll have to try to figure out, if you don't have much interaction with the person anyway, to determine one or two things that you may do for them that's good. You need to do that because it honors the Lord. And then if you're asked about that, uh, don't say, well, you know, he needed it. Don't do that. Say, well, I know what the scripture says about forgiveness, and God commands me to do good. And so I needed, I needed to do that. See, that goes back to God. It gives glory to God. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not trying to steal God's glory by somehow making it about what you've done because you've thought about it or what have you. No, it's, it's God's command. Now, you can even be honest and say, I didn't really want to do it. But, you know, I'm really glad I did. I think God is really, uh, I think God's really changing my heart. When I did that, my, I, it's almost like I could feel my heart change more. You know, as Christians, we need to hear that from each other. That's a good thing. To let people know how God is dealing with us and changing us. And that, ah, I did that. And so be honest. No, I didn't want to do it. In fact, I, I, mean, I, I wanted to go slash his tires, but I knew that was sin. Um, and then when I did that, um, it's because it's what the scripture says. And again, go, get back to how you, you're changing. You can feel and see that you're changing and, and, and share that with that individual. They may need to hear that. Um, so that's a good thing. And it glorifies the Lord. Uh, when we do that. Fifthly, it is this, God forgave us in Christ by reconciling us to himself, by restoring the relationship our sin has severed. So true forgiveness pursues restoration. Now, relationships are built on trust. Trust is not built in a day. Restoration and reconciliation are not always possible. Remember what it says in Romans. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So reconciliation is always the ideal. Forgiveness takes sometimes only one person. Reconciliation takes two. Reconciliation may take a long time. We want there to be a reconciliation. There may not be a reconciliation. You need to make sure that it's never because of you. And so there's a difference between the two things. So again, back to those difficult situations, the husband and wife thing, which is very, very difficult. Um, if, the, if the wife leaves the husband because he beats her and he refuses counseling, he refuses to come under the authority of, of the church, he refuses to work on what he's doing, to admit that what it is is sin, it's, it's going to be very difficult for them to be reconciled. That is what God wants. That is what we should want to pray for. But he's not willing to go along with that. And there are some individuals, even though their sin is very clear and obvious to everyone else, they're not going to go there for whatever the reasons. And so uh, we need to recognize. And it's not, it's not the only sin. There can be other sins that one can do against another that would cause there to be a split in the relationship. And, uh, but the one who's the offended party should seek that. that would, that's always would be what we might call God's best, so to speak. Uh, but that other individual may be very uncooperative. And sometimes, remember, sometimes we have to live with the consequences of our sins. So let's say that a, a, a wife is being abused by her husband. And let's say that for her protection, she does end up divorcing him. And let's say that he remains single. She can't remarry. That would be a sin. And now it gets really hard. You go, well, that's just not fair. Now she's going to have to be alone for the rest of her life. 
You know, a lot of times we suffer the consequences of someone else's sin. It is a very sad reality of life. We ought to be so grateful that this life is not all there is. That there will be an incredible restoration of things when we go to be with the Lord. But part of being a Christian is a willingness to submit to God in every area of life. And when it comes to these things, these things can be immensely, maybe in our terms, unfair. But we can't change what Scripture says. And we're easily swayed by our society because society says, that's unfair. And I would agree, it's unfair. But what's right, she has to do what's right by what Scripture says. And if she has to remain single, again, that comes back to the importance of the church, why we need to be there for each other, not just for a while, for the rest of our lives, to minister to each other, to help each other through times of great difficulty. For some, that difficulty may last for decades, um, and, and we are their family. In the same way that you would, hopefully, you would never abandon your sister, your blood sister or your blood brother, we would not abandon each other, which means we don't just say, well, we've helped her enough. She needs to get over it. Well, there are some lingering problems. It doesn't mean, you know, she, may, she may be feeling sorry for herself because of all that. That's another issue she needs to grow. But at the same time, if she has kids and he's a bum and he's not helping with child support and the law may go after him, that still doesn't mean that she can feed the kids. And we may have to take on that responsibility to help for maybe a decade. Well, you know what? That's what Christians do. My, if that happened in my family, one of my sisters, and she, one of their husbands was a bum, they're going to have food. If they have to come live with me and my wife, it's, it's going to happen. Because that's what you do when you, with, for your family. We love them. And sometimes as Christians, we like being separated from each other, so we don't have to do that. But we're called to that type of thing. It doesn't really happen as often as you think it does, but that type of, of thing needs to be done. But also that's why it's all of us together. Because that can be a great burden on any one person. But as a church family, we are to look out for each other in that way. In the same way the early church did when there was a great deal of persecution. People were being invited in other people's homes to eat and be cared for while all this is going on. And so we need to go there. And so when someone forgives in a situation, uh, there may not be a reconciliation. It may take a long time. We need to be a part of that. We need to be helping them with that. So then uh, when you're with your friend, if it's two guys or two girls, um, that's not a time for you to badmouth your spouse and say, well, yeah, we're separated because, you know, he's a bum or she's a bum. You would not believe what they did. And it, that's, we're not sharing with each other because somehow we want to just deal with the situation. We're trying to badmouth the other person so that person feels sorry for us for whatever the reason. It's not always to manipulate to get something, but there's something going on. And the idea is, is that we, we need to make sure we're not a part of that. So you just say, look. So let's say Robert's bad-mouthing Jill. He never does that, but let's say he was. You know, I would, just, I would say, Robert, I said, look, I, I know that Jill is not innocent in this, but you can't do that. You are rehearsing her sins against you. And, and as far as I can tell, you're accurate, but that's a sin, and you have to stop doing that. You're, you're called by God to forgive. We need to say that to each other sometimes. And instead of just trying to be a part of it so somehow we can be on the inside or I can be their buddy or I can be their confidant. That's, you're not being their confidant. You're, you're helping them sin against a holy God. And so we need wisdom when it comes to that. And so we need to make sure that we understand forgiveness and that we practice forgiveness this way uh, so that we can be an example to others and so we can help them also 
in times of great difficulty to understand how they are to forgive. And again, remember this. When we started our going through this trek of these things that Paul wants these believers to do, God is demanding that here and now, right away, you and I as believers put away the old nature and put on the new. And what part of that is, is that we forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven us. Period. That can, that can sound cold and hard, but it is a great and a marvelous and a wonderful truth that has reconciled us to God and is intended to reconcile us to each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your immense grace in our life. And I pray that you would help us to recognize and to, and to understand how you have forgiven us. Help us, Father, also to realize, and we do in real-life situations, Father, we have experienced the pain because others have sinned against us. In some cases, we have been sinned against greatly. In some situations, we have been sinned against repeatedly. But, Father, no one has ever done anything to us that's worse than what we've done to you. And you, who, who knows all things, still commands us to forgive others as we've been forgiven. This can only happen, Father, as we submit to your word and we seek to grow as a believer. And I pray that we would want that desperately. And I pray that for anyone here, Father, who, who may be thinking of an individual in their family, an individual at work, an individual that they may not even have much contact with, but there's an individual that they know deep in their heart they still resent and they've not forgiven I pray that you would remind that person that as long as they refuse to forgive, that they're in sin and that it will inhibit and hinder many facets of their lives and that they are living in disobedience to you. And I pray that you would, if necessary, break our hearts, that we would live as those who have had their hearts broken and have been mended by the great physician and that we would desire to forgive others as you've forgiven us because we love you and because we have experienced your love for us. I pray, Lord, that you would never leave us alone when it comes to these things. And so, Father, I thank you again for your incredible patience with us. We thank you and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let me just say that if you do have, if there's someone in your life that you, that you just, you've not forgiven, you may need to share that with someone here and ask them to pray with you and pray for you. Because it's not a minor thing. It does hinder every aspect of your life as a Christian. And we sometimes need that help by telling another person and knowing that person is going to, and if someone tells you about that, you, you need to not only Make sure that you do pray for them. Write it down if you have to. Remind yourself. Pray for them. But then in a week or 10 days or whatever you feel is right, you need to ask them. So, hey, when it comes to uh, so-and-so, do you, do you feel you've forgiven them yet? If they say no, you can ask them why. Continue to pray. If they say yes, you may say, well, how do you know that you have? And talk to them about it. Uh, and help them work through that. It, you don't have to be a genius to do that. Just be a sounding board, remind them of just the simple truths of what the scripture says. But sometimes that's we need help 
And we need someone else just asking us those uncomfortable questions to help us with that. So please, if you, whoever you would feel comfortable with, whether it's me or somebody else, it doesn't really matter. But there's someone else that at least is a, that you believe is a mature believer, uh, then I would encourage you to talk to them and say, I've, I've got something really heavy on my heart, and I, I need to talk to someone and need them to pray for me. And if someone says that to you, don't freak out. Um, you should listen with eagerness because you love them uh, and ask God for wisdom all along the way.